Good evening, church. Great to see you all here. My name is Austin. I'm uh, the young adults pastor. I see some of my young adult peeps here at the, the church. Uh, I'm Pastor Gary's middle child, and uh, whenever Pastor Gary's gone, it's always a privilege for some of us younger guys to have the opportunity to study God's Word. And if you can already tell by the back graphic, we are going to be in the book of Romans. So you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Uh, again, I'm always honored Uh, And thank Dad for the opportunity and the privilege to teach God's Word to God's people. Hey, thanks for the the, the couple applauses. This is wonderful. Uh, So as my dad mentioned, a few of us teaching pastors, we got together yesterday, we put our heads together, and we felt the Lord impress upon our hearts to go through uh, the book of Romans. Now, sermons can usually go one of two ways. Uh, Some can be more informational, and some can be more inspirational. Now, I hope that as we go through this book, as we study the book of Romans together over the next few weeks, that you will find both, that you'll find both uh, inspiration, uh, that you'll be both informed uh, in the scriptures as we study God's word, as we go through some context and some background, that you'll be informed about what God says in his word about you and about your life and about the purposes he has for you, but that you'll also be inspired, that you will understand that God's word is still alive and it is active And the Holy Spirit tonight, He wants to speak to you, and He wants to reveal something to you, and He wants to do a new and a fresh work in your lives. So we're going to have a Bible study, we're going to go through the book of Romans, and at times you might find this more informational, Uh, especially as we go through Romans chapter 1 tonight, I'm going to give a lot of information. I'm going to be going through a little bit of background and some context to set up our series, Uh, but I also pray that you would be inspired as we hit on some major points and some major themes that the Holy Spirit would uniquely speak to you through God's revealed word. Now, I know that all of us, uh, myself included, uh, we were really looking forward to Pastor Gary picking up in the book of Revelation. He started pre-COVID and then COVID happened. We put it on pause and then he picked it back up for like two or three weeks. And now we're putting it back on pause again. Uh, But we're taking a little detour, all right, a little spiritual detour. We're going through the book of Romans, but isn't, isn't that what God does? Doesn't he love to just take us through detours often in life? Okay, you have expectations about your life. You have expectations about how your life is going to go. And then the Lord speaks to you and he says, hey, I'm going to take you through a little detour. I mean, I, I'm kind of embarrassed, honestly, to admit this, but I've lived in Leesburg for about 25 years and I still use a GPS to get around. Is anybody else with me? Okay, just me. Okay, a couple people. Okay. And when you're using a GPS, inevitably, in the middle of your drive, if you've ever used a GPS before, in the middle of your drive, your GPS will pop up a random notification and will tell you that there is a better alternate route that you are to take. And this drives me nuts because I don't like change. And so when my GPS pops up a notification, hey, there's an alternate route that will get you to your destination quicker or will bypass some traffic. I exit out of my GPS and I say, stop interrupting my drive. And this is what we do with the Lord sometimes. When the Lord says, hey, I want to take you through a little bit of a detour. Uh, I I want you to take an alternate route that didn't meet your first original expectation. We say, God, we push the exit button on God's voice and say, stay out of my life. All right, God wants to do something new, and, but you want to date this guy, you want to date this girl, and you say, God, stop interrupting, because the, these, these are my plans and these are my expectations. But the Lord sometimes takes us through detours. So all that being said, on Wednesday nights, 
we're going to take a little bit of a detour uh, through the book of Romans. Um, and the Lord has kind of interrupted our uh, book study through Revelation. He's put that on pause. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord wants to uniquely speak to us through this book as we take the next few weeks to learn it and to study it out. So let's open up our hearts. Let's open up our spiritual ears to hear from the Lord. And let's dive in to study this book and apply it to our own lives. Amen? Amen. So let's start Romans chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. If you have a pen or a pencil, highlight that word bondservant. We're going to come back to it. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So we see the recipients of this letter here. To all who are in Rome, loved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request of, uh, making request if, by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pause there. Let's pray. Let's devote our Bible study to the Lord. Lord, we come before you tonight. We are so grateful and thankful to be here together. Uh, For those watching online as well, we we thank you for them. And we lift up our Bible study to you now. We dedicate it to you. And we do pray for mom and dad. We pray for Pastor Gary and, and Terry that you would bless them, that you would give them rest as they're away, that you would rejuvenate uh, their spirit, Lord, that you'd fill them and that you would um, just be with them as they spend time together, that you would continue to uh, work in them and, and work through them and that you would bless them. And we pray that you would bring them home to us safely as they're spending some time away. Uh, we love you, God, and we lift up your, your word to us now. Speak to us, God. Open up our hearts. Open up our ears to hear from you as we study your word together. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said together, amen. Uh, in baseball, uh, baseball, you always have a leadoff hitter, a leadoff batter. Uh, the leadoff hitter is the first batter up, the very first hitter to come to the plate. Uh, tonight, 
kind of the leadoff hitter. I'm opening up the series. And a leadoff hitter in baseball, he always wants to set the tone. He wants to kind of lay the groundwork. So my goal for tonight is to kind of set the tone, to lay the groundwork. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the context, some of the background, some of the history of the book of Romans. A great revival has happened by the studying and the reading of the book of Romans. Great revival has happened in church history, reading the book of Romans. A man named Martin Luther, many of you are familiar with that name, Martin Luther, who was once a monk in the Roman Catholic order, he was uh, studying and reading this book to his students at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. And as he began to study out the book of Romans, he began to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit through Paul's main central theme of this book that salvation comes and justification comes through faith alone. Because up until this point, Martin Luther, to, in order to attain righteousness, he relied and rested upon good works and penance as his Catholicism taught him and as many of your Catholic backgrounds taught you as well. So up until this point, Luther had been attaining righteousness or attempting to attain righteousness or a right relationship with God through his good works. And then he reads and studies out the book of Romans and the Holy Spirit convicts him because he reads the centrality of the gospel message and a right relationship with God is all about God's grace alone through our faith alone. Ephesians says it's not by works lest any man should boast. And when Martin Luther was convicted of this, the Holy Spirit began to work in his heart and a movement was birthed called the Protestant Reformation, really of which we, Cornerstone Chapel, are a byproduct of, the Protestant Reformation. Many others got saved reading the book of Romans. Augustine, uh, John Wesley, uh, William Tyndale got saved reading the book of Romans. So imagine that you and I have the privilege of reading the same inspired letter that brought revival to men like Luther and to men like John Wesley, that then thus brought revival to generations to come, of which, as I mentioned, we are essentially a byproduct of the revival that started there. This letter that the Holy Spirit inspired has been one of revival. And if you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Gary mentioned, he kind of walked through the different stages uh, of, of our nation and the world at large, the different stages of revival. And usually revival always hits uh, every 30 to 40 years. And the last revival was in 1980. So we are due for another revival. Church, our nation, America, is due and is in dire need of spiritual revival. Our, praise the Lord. Our nation is in desperate need of spiritual revival. Isaiah the prophet, in uh, Isaiah 5.20, he says, Woe to them who call good evil and evil good. And isn't that the case of our nation right now? Where now it seems as if destroying of property and violence and murder seem to now be overlooked, tolerated, and accepted, whereas the gathering of Christians who want to study the Bible in a public gathering and read His Word is now seen as destructive. And we are in desperate need of revival. And the same Holy Spirit that penned the book of Romans through Paul, the same Holy Spirit who inspired movements through men like Martin Luther, is the same Holy Spirit today who can bring revival to our nation. But listen to me, national revival will not come 
until we each individually experience revival in our own hearts and in our own homes. We need to be people who individually surrender our lives to the Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit experience revival in our own hearts and thus in our own homes. It's not until we take personal responsibility to read and search out the scriptures and to allow God's spirit to speak through his word and then we train our kids in righteousness and in righteous living that then national revival will come. But it starts with you. And listen to me, I don't want to hear the different excuses about where you've been or about who you are. I don't want you to underestimate God's power in your life. Oh, well, I'm a single mom. What can I do for the kingdom? Or I'm not a Bible scholar. What can I do for the kingdom? Or I'm just an ordinary person with ordinary abilities and an ordinary skill set. Have you read the Bible lately? God loves to use ordinary people and ordinary things to accomplish extraordinary purposes. In the book of Exodus, God used a staff in the hands of Moses to part the Red Sea. In the book of Judges, God used a donkey's jawbone in the hand of Samson to defeat an entire Philistine army. In the book of Numbers, God spoke through a donkey. So you better believe that I'm confident that if God can use a stick... And if God can use a donkey's jawbone, and if God can speak through a donkey, I'm pretty confident that God can speak through you and me to train our kids up in the way they should go in God's word, to share the gospel with our coworkers, to share the gospel with our neighbor, to share the gospel with the stranger on the road. Don't underestimate the spirit and the power of God moving and working in your life. And this then, when we submit our lives to God, and we study the Word, we read the Word, we teach it to our kids, and we experience that revival in our own hearts and in our own homes, that then we will begin to see revival spread throughout the nation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so this is the book of Romans. A little bit of background, uh, just to catch us up to speed and give us some context. The author is Paul. A little bit about Paul. In Romans 16.22, it actually tells us that Paul dictated this letter. He dictated this letter to a man named uh, Tertias. Now, Tertias kind of sounds like a a dinosaur, like a velociteritas, but this was a man, and he uh, penned this letter as Paul dictated it to him. And then in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it tells us that Paul gave this letter to a woman named Phoebe uh, in the city of Corinth, and then Phoebe took that letter uh, to the city of Rome. A little bit about Paul. Paul, before he came to know Christ, he uh, gave his life to the Lord. He, he first was, uh, before coming to Christ, he was a legalistic Pharisee, uh, a Jew who followed the law to a T, um, saw Christians and the, the movement of Christianity as blasphemous. And then many of you know in Acts chapter 9, Paul has this experience where Jesus supernaturally appears to Paul and it blinds Paul. And he has this conversation with Jesus. And there on the spot, Paul surrenders his life to Jesus and starts his ministry. And so this is a little bit about Paul. Every Hebrew boy, they they were raised uh, to have some kind of a job or some kind of a trade. The Bible tells us that Paul was a tent maker. Sounds like a pretty good job to me, making some tents. This is what Paul did. Uh, Written roughly between the years A.D. 56 to A.D. 58 uh, from the city of Corinth, uh, which is located here in southern Greece. So just to give us a little bit of... Uh, geography here, Corinth, located in southern Greece, 
where he wrote the book of Romans. Phoebe then takes uh, the letter to the city of Rome, which is there located in Italy. Um, And we come to know a little bit more about uh, Corinth um, when Paul then writes his letters to the Corinthians. Uh, Corinth was a wicked place, uh, very popular, very well-known, very famous seaport, but it was wicked, and we come to know a little bit more about the city of Corinth when Paul writes his letters to the Corinthians in First and Second Corinthians. But it was here in Corinth he writes this letter to the Romans on his third missionary journey. You can read between Acts 13 and 21. Uh, Paul um, goes to the city of Corinth, and we know here he pens his book to the Romans. Now, the audience are believers in Rome. Uh, most likely mixed of both Gentile and Jewish believers. Now, how in the world did believers come to be in Rome in the first place? Because Paul says here in this letter, I have yet to come to you, but I long to see you. Uh, A lot of scholars say that Paul either indirectly or directly planted roughly 20 churches. Uh, But we know that the church at Rome was not planted by Paul. So how in the world did a church form at Rome? Well, most plausible, uh, ex- the most plausible explanation is that um, I'm taking you back to, back to Acts chapter 2. Um, Jews at this point uh, were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. There were many Jews living in the city of Rome. In the Old Testament, there were three Jewish feasts where every Jewish male was required to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the feast. One of those feasts was known as Pentecost. We see the Feast of Pentecost being celebrated in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, go and wait in Jerusalem and wait for the gift my Father has promised. And then we see on the day of Pentecost, as 120 of Jesus' followers are in an upper room, the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. And the Holy Spirit comes on those disciples, Peter of which was one of them. And then when the Holy Spirit fell upon Peter, Peter, Peter goes out into the city of Jerusalem. He starts to preach the first, uh, the first message of the gospel. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people get saved. Well, what do you know that if there were Jews in Rome who were required by Old Testament law to come to Jerusalem, most likely Jews visiting from Rome heard Peter preach the gospel. They get saved. They take the gospel message back to their home in Rome. And there forms a church. And then Paul eagerly awaits to visit these brothers and these sisters now meeting as a church in the city of Rome. A little bit about the city of Rome. It was the largest, most important city in the world. At this time, Nero is the emperor. Nero became the emperor around AD 54, which is about three-ish years before Paul writes this letter. The population of Rome, scholars estimate to be between one to four million people. So it was a very large city, and archaeology tells us that there were about a dozen Jewish synagogues. So this is how we know there must have been a Jewish presence in the city of Rome. So this is a little bit about the author, about the time and the location of the writing, the recipients of the letter. But why did Paul write this letter? What is the purpose? Well, let's find out together. Let's look at Romans 1, verse 1. Let's look into this passage a little bit more together to discover the purpose of Paul's writing this letter. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul, a bondservant. Now, I had you circle or underline 
that word bondservant. Uh, your translation might just say servant, but I think that the NLT, the New Living Translation, actually translates this more accurately. The NLT says Paul, a slave of Christ, because that's actually what the Greek word doulos means. It means slave. Now, when we hear the term slave, our immediate, uh, uh, usually our minds immediately go to the horrific uh, aspect of our nation's past and what slavery was like. But slavery in the city of Rome and the Roman Empire was much different. Roughly 30 to 40 percent of Rome's entire po- of the city of Rome's entire population were slaves. So that could have been anywhere from 500,000 to a million people were slaves. And slavery was not based on race. You were either a slave for one of two reasons. Either you were a slave because you were a prisoner of war, you were a POW, or you were a slave because you voluntarily sold yourself to someone because you could not pay back your debt. And so this is how you were a slave in the Roman world. And oftentimes you gave someone your labor because you couldn't pay them back. And this is how Paul first introduces himself to the church at Rome. He says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I am a doulos. A doulos was one who gave his or her own desires and will to the will of another. A doulos was one who devoted their entire life to someone else. This is how Paul introduces himself. I love it. My name is Paul, and I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. This was the church at Rome's first impression of Paul. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. You know, we place a lot of emphasis on first impressions, which, which we should, because first impressions are important. Um, you know, if you're at a job interview and you're potentially meeting with your future boss, you want to leave a good first impression. Uh, if you have a crush, you like someone, you like that guy, you like that girl, you, you want to leave a good first impression. For those of us who are married, I bet you can probably remember the first time you met your spouse and the first impression you gave your spouse or maybe the first impression that they gave you. I remember when I first met my now wife, Morgan, um, I really wanted to make a good first impression. Now, I was head over heels for Morgan, but I didn't want to give off that vibe. That would have been awkward. That would have been creepy. So I had to play it cool. What's up, girl? All right, so I had to play. I don't think I smiled for the first two months of us hanging out together because I had to play it cool. What's going on, girl? I don't know why. I don't think I actually said that, but that's kind of what initially came to mind. And first impressions are important. And this was Paul's first, this was the church at Rome's first impression of Paul. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, if, if you like someone, okay, um, this is not a good one-liner. Okay, so guys, if you like a girl, uh, don't go up to them and say, hey, my name is John, and I'm a slave of Christ. Okay, that, that's not a good one-liner. Don't use it. If you're at a job interview, uh, don't go to your job interview, and they ask, hey, well, John, uh, give us some of your qualifications, uh, a, a reason as to why you think you're the best person for the job. Well, first, let me tell you, I'm a slave of Christ. Okay, that, that would be a little bit weird. Be normal at the job interview, okay? You, you probably wouldn't even get the job. So be normal. And, 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 and be cool. Maybe just say, sup, girl. Okay, that usually works. <laughs> Probably for some of the ladies, actually, you would, you'd like the tagline, 
I'm a slave of Christ. Because we don't have enough slaves of Christ as men who are approaching women, but they're trying to play it all cool and hip like me, but thankfully it worked, and Morgan and I are married now. But this was the church at Rome's first impression of Paul. I'm a slave of Christ, and I love it, because this is how every Christian should think of themselves. This should be the disposition of every Christian to think of themselves as I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I do not own myself. I have given up control of my life to someone who has more authority, greater authority, and can make better decisions than I can about my life. This needs to be the disposition of everyone who says, I am a follower of Christ because when you surrender your life to Christ, the Bible says that you were bought at a price you are not your own. So we now have to come to a relationship with Christ with the same mindset Paul has, saying, I am a doulos, I am a slave of Christ. I no longer make decisions on my own, I speak to God. I no longer address or look at the world on my own and through different media outlets without first consulting the words of Christ. I am not my own, I'm bought at a price, I no longer have control over myself. I've given control over to the Lord. I no longer operate by my own feelings and by my own desires, by my own passions. I operate now under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And this is their first impression. Listen, we can't even get past the third word of this book without feeling challenged. Paul, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And this is Paul, this is how he identifies himself. Now, In our remaining time, let's see why Paul wrote this letter, and then I want to hit on one major theme with you, Paul's purpose in writing. So Paul had not yet been to Rome, as I previously mentioned. He wouldn't actually arrive to Rome uh, for another three years. Uh, But at this point, he still doesn't actually know, even though he desires to visit the church at Rome, he doesn't know if he'll actually have the opportunity to. And so he takes this opportunity to pen this letter to the church at Rome, So why does Paul write this? Well, the purpose of writing, firstly, was to express his desire to visit them so that he might, number one, strengthen their faith. And we see this in verse 11. Look at verse 11. He desires to write this letter to them so that he might strengthen their faith. Verse 11 says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Now the New King James James Version uses that word established, but some of your translations might say strengthen, and that's literally what the Greek word means. It means to make firm. So Paul desires to write this letter to them and eventually to see them so that he might continue to strengthen the body of Christ there. And secondly, he also wrote this to both give encouragement, but he also wants to see them so that he might receive encouragement. Now this is uh, very applicable to us today because most of us understand church to be the teaching pastor to give encouragement to the body of Christ, which that's absolutely true. But I hope that you see us gathering tonight and in the future as mutual edification of both the body and the teacher. Because Paul here says in verse 12, if you want to take a peek at verse 12, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You know, when Pastor Gary or any of us pastors here on staff, when we see you reading your Bibles and coming to church and opening up the Scriptures, and when we see you serving here at the church, when we see you continuing to grow in your walk with Christ, you don't know what that does to a pastor's heart. 
encouraging Pastor Gary, encouraging myself, encouraging the rest of the pastors, when, when we see you growing in the knowledge and grace of Christ, see you serving here in the church, how much that really encourages us as pastors, how much that just continues to give us a passion to continue to teach the gospel, to do ministry. And this is Paul's desire. He says, I want to see you so that I might encourage you, but I also want to be a recipient of your encouragement and that we might mutually edify one another. And then in verse 15, probably the major, most important reason he wants to visit this church and wants to visit the city of Rome in verse 15 So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. This was Paul's main reason for wanting to visit the city of Rome. Gospel. It's mentioned six times. Paul refers to the gospel six times just in this first chapter alone. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it means good news. Paul says, I want to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to preach the gospel message. So I want to hone in on the next verse. It's verse 16. It's our key verse for our Bible study tonight. The very next verse, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, Greek uh, is also just, it can broadly mean Gentile. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. So Paul uses the term here, Greek. I want to preach the gospel, and just so you know, I am unashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. This verse then sets the tone for the rest of this letter. I want to preach the gospel, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Church, we live in a very fit-in culture. I just want to fit in. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be liked. Let me tell you, if you want to just fit in, and if you just want to be liked, do not use the gospel to do it, because the gospel of Jesus Christ does not fit in. And we, as believers of Jesus Christ, need to come to the reality and come to the grips with and the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not fit in at my work. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not fit in at my school. So I need to be prepared to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And we as Christians, we have come to this place where we have been living in this very comfortable culture here in America, where we believe lies from the media and we believe different lies of our culture that tell us this is how you should act and this is how you should behave. And if you step outside this line, you will be seen as a jerk or a bigot or whatever they want to call us or call you. But we need to realize that if we want to be, as Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, do not look forward to fitting in because you won't. Do not look forward to fitting in. The gospel doesn't fit in. And we need to come to terms with that. I had to come to terms with that a long time ago. When I was in high school, I had the tendency to just, as far as my faith was concerned, just fly under the radar. Now, if someone asked me about my faith, that was a little bit different, but very rarely did I ever initiate those conversations because I just wanted to fit in. And I got to a point where the Lord just spoke to me and he said, listen, Austin, if you just want to fit in, then forget carrying the gospel around because the gospel of Christ doesn't fit in. Come to terms with the fact that people will see you as different, that people will see you as weird, 
And most of us are weird anyways, okay? Especially when you use pickup lines like, sup girl, okay? Most of us are already weird in our unique individual ways as God has uniquely designed us. So come to terms with the fact that I don't want to be comfortable in this world because the gospel doesn't promote comfortability. I don't want to just fit in with the world or be popular or have a lot of friends because the gospel of Jesus Christ won't get you a lot of friends. We need to realize this. To, in order to proclaim, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because here's what happens when we attempt to both carry the gospel of Jesus Christ and fit in. When we attempt to do both of those things, we will compromise our morals, we will, we will compromise our faith, we will compromise our witness, and we will compromise the gospel. The gospel doesn't fit in, church. The gospel of Christ. Why should we not be ashamed of the gospel? Is it because when we preach the gospel, uh, we'll feel amazing about ourselves? No. I mean, although we might, and we probably will, if you've ever shared the gospel, it feels good to share the gospel. But is that why we should be unashamed of the gospel? Because it will feel amazing? No. Should we share the gospel because uh, the gospel in itself is awesome? No. Although the gospel is awesome, should we be unashamed to share the gospel because we'll make more friends? No, because we'll probably lose friends. Paul says, the reason I am not ashamed of the gospel is because it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Power, the, the, the word Paul uses here, it's the Greek word dunamis, it's where we get our English word dynamite. It is power. It is the power of God. And Paul will later say in this book, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Do you realize that? That the same power who rose Jesus from the dead, if you have given your life over to Jesus Christ, He lives in you. So listen, a lot of our tendency and a lot of our, uh, a lot of our hesitancy uh, in sharing the gospel with people is because we think sharing the gospel is all about us. It is not. Our hesitancy in sharing the gospel is because we feel the burden is all on us. It is not. Our hesitancy in sharing the gospel is when we feel I have the burden to close the deal, for lack of a better word, and make sure this person gets saved. That burden is not on us. It is the power of God by His Spirit who will empower you and give you the right words for the right time to the right person. And maybe you're just planting a seed, maybe you're watering the seed, but it is the power of God that will give the increase. Do not stop preaching the gospel. Don't let yourself be your own stumbling block in sharing the gospel. Because it's not the power of me, it's not the power of you, it's the power of God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you go to someone, you go to share your faith, and you're thinking, I have to be a good speaker and I have to remember all of the verses I've memorized. And then you go and you, it's a little bit awkward and you fumble through your words, but then this person either maybe gets saved or maybe the person just, they start to think and, and you've planted that seed and you walk away from that conversation, conversation saying, I have no idea what I just said and I, I don't even know if I quoted that Bible verse right, but man, I felt the Holy Spirit working. I felt the Holy Spirit moving. Because the Bible also says His power is made perfect in our weakness. The Lord loves to use weak people. I'm a weak person. We're all weak people. And if you think of yourself again as ordinary or weak, you're the person God wants to use because then His power is more glorified. 
And it's a beautiful thing when we get to share in the opportunity and the privilege of sharing the gospel. And the other aspect of this verse that I love is it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. It's for everyone. The gospel is the great equalizer. The gospel is the great unifier. And man, especially when our nation is breaking us up into different categories, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. All I know is the Bible talks about two categories, lost and saved. And the other thing that's beautiful about this verse, praise the Lord. The other beautiful thing about this verse is that anybody in the lost club is welcome into the saved club. The only qualification is Romans, uh, 9, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, welcome to the saved club. Anyone is welcome as long as they repent and turn from their sin and trust Christ as their Savior. Welcome to the Save Club. It is for everyone. And I am sick and tired of our nation attempting to divide us and segregate us into all of these different categories based on rage or age or race or age or whatever. There's lost and saved. Are you going to be a part of the revival in our nation that is needed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to unite us under the lordship of Jesus Christ, so that we can be singing a symphony in heaven as uh, different tribes and different tongues and nations singing praises to one Lord Jesus Christ? And this is what we need, church. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel Paul so eagerly wanted to take to the city of Rome. The gospel... So church, may we be bold, may we be empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives to first experience revival in our own hearts when we read the word, to then train our kids up in righteousness so that then we can experience revival in our nation that is so desperately needed right now, to experience revival all under the name of Jesus And in his gospel that says, all are welcome if you just believe and trust in Christ as your Savior. Are you going to be bold? And are we together as the church, as Cornerstone Chapel, going to go into our communities and into our homes and into our families and say, I am unashamed. I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew and then for the Gentile. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this book series, Lord. And we know that you want to do something unique in this series. We know that you want to do something amazing, Lord, um, through this church, Lord. And our, our nation so desperately needs to experience the Holy Spirit. And our nation so desperately needs to experience revival. And may we be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, that we might take this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again and defeated death, and we can have an eternal home with you if we just repent and trust. May we take this gospel of Jesus Christ and may you empower us. May we not be ashamed. It can be a scary thing to go to our neighborhood, to go to our workplace, to go into our schools, and to share the gospel. Because at times, Lord, 
we revert to our own nature and, and we just want to fit in and we just want to be comfortable. But Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would help us, Lord. That you would empower us and that you would go before us, Lord, and prepare the hearts of our nation. Prepare the hearts of our neighborhood and our communities, Lord. Soften their hearts, Lord. Our nation is experiencing a hardness of heart that only you can soften. And so may you prepare the field, Lord. We know that the harvest is ripe and the harvest is ready. And all you are looking for are servants of Christ to go out and be unashamed of the gospel. May it start with us, Lord. So work in our lives. Move in our lives. May we first experience revival in our own hearts by surrendering our lives to Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for those who came tonight, those watching. I pray that you would bless them, that you would guide them and shepherd them, Lord, that you would continue to go before them and encourage them in your word by the power of your spirit, Lord. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen.